0: Good morning. Thank you for having me here. (laughs) And welcome to everyone who is here for the first time. The talk I'm going to give today is not well thought out. I have a little bit of... um, tremors, because I don't know what in the world is going to happen, is going to come out of my mouth right now, but I want to address um, working with pain, working with suffering, not just pain, but actually working with the suffering of the world. And as, as I was reflecting on this, I was actually reflecting on this with a friend Um, friend Kelly Brown Douglas she's a bishop in the Episcopal Church and we've been talking a lot about the times and what it is to meet this moment and so I think the one gift for me I consider it a gift that the Buddha just started with suffering. He didn't dance around this problem. The human world, because of the way we relate to our minds, the way we relate to grasping our views, we generate suffering and a lot of it. And so we look at the world and We can see that, I think that's pretty clear to us. And sometimes when we are um, trying to understand how to work with that, we might fall into the belief, especially in, in a practice like this, that somehow I need to build up an individual personal capacity to hold all of the suffering of the world. I would like to point to the tanka behind me. Someone tried that. Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara tried that. And her head and her arms exploded. Now, A few things about that. One, I think the reason that her head and her arms exploded was because when we come to, when we really try to come to the world suffering in the way the Buddha taught us to, which is to not grasp the views, but to still feel the suffering, and still speak to the suffering, but to not grasp the views, the amount of suffering that becomes apparent to us is so profound, so deeply running that getting our mind and arms around it is just not possible. It's not possible for us to do that alone. It's easier if we um I don't it's not particularly good for us, but it's it may seem easier if we grab onto a perspective really tightly. And then we are then we get to kind of dehumanize people. You know, I can just not count that part of the world as human. And then I can just feel like a restricted amount of pain. But if I don't do that, if I'm coming from wisdom, if I'm coming from a non-dual heart, if I'm not falling into the conditioning that we have been taught to do that, then I let everyone's pain in. And then I have to watch what we're doing to each other. What human beings are doing to other human beings. And I have to feel that. So then how do I not let that run me into the ground? Because there are a few choices. I mean, one choice is hardened views. One choice is ignore it. That won't work so well in time. That will catch up. One is to kind of bypass it and treat a practice like this, for example, as a way to um, build a false equanimity that allows us to kind of hang out in some pure meditative realm where we don't feel those things. I don't think that's what the Buddha had in mind. And i say that not just because it's you know we read a lot of texts and it's the i look at what the buddha did right one particular thing that he did which was toward the end of his life i think six months before he died or not very long before he died you might know the story that there was an army going to destroy all the people of his homeland the shakya people and he put himself in the road in front of that army, right? He sat down in the road and put his body there. That is not (laughs) somebody who's teaching a kind of transcendent equanimity that pulls us out of the world. That is somebody who's teaching a heart capacity that allows us to be in the world. He did it again, and then at one point he didn't do it because he knew that another time they, would, they weren't going to pay attention to him. So he wasn't beating his head up against the wall. He was, being, he was calculating. He was considering what's going to be effective. If I can stop it, I'm going to put my body there and I'm going to stop it. If I can't stop it, then I can't. And he made decisions, so it wasn't just um, impulsive. Impulsive. And yet, he did that. And so when I think back on Avalokiteshvara as a model, what's interesting is Avalokiteshvara's heart didn't just get big. It wasn't like her mind got big, and her heart got big, and that's all that happened. It was many eyes, many ears, many noses, many arms, many ways of sensing into the world, many views, many ways of hearing going beyond our narrow way of being able to see, here, Because the Buddha talked very clearly about how um, karma gets in our very organs. Latent karma is in our eyes. It's in the way we see, it's in the way we hear. It's in the way we read news. It's in the way we understand what's going on. So that karma is there. And we have to expand beyond (laughs) that we have to see what's conditioning us and then we have to allow in other views other ideas there are many views on what's going on and to let them in but then the springing of all these arms clearly (laughs) their compassion is responsive it's not just feeling it's doing something it's feeling the pain in the world and responding to it So, I think we're given, in the path, a clear kind of how difficult it is to feel the pain and how it is to respond. Now, that response, we can read those many arms as the many arms of Avalokiteshvara, we can read those many arms as our many arms, together, that it is Sangha. If I'm looking at everything that's going on in the world and i know there's fear about this whole there's 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 deep pain about what's happening there's fear about this next year there are real things that we have to look at in our country historically in this moment that require our voice that require our attention that require us to transform the way Ways we have behaved and the way we're behaving. And um, we may drop into despair. Or we may freeze. Or we may watch TV. Or we may do what we do. And this isn't to judge that, but there, there, is to, there is in those moments an occasion to look, because if, if the practice is asking us to respond, there is an occasion to look at the fear that is in the way of that compassionate response. There's an opportunity to do that. I believe we have to do that alone, I believe we have to do it together. But this movement from feeling of the pain of the world, to a response to the world, in between that, is what I, you know, for me is the heart of the matter, which is the arising of moral conviction, that there is a moral conviction at that point. It isn't just that I'm feeling the pain of what's going on, but what arises, kaduna has action in it, as I, as we say, has the word to act in it, it has the root for acting. But what arises in that is the moral conviction to respond to suffering. Now, the interesting thing in my experience about moral conviction, first of all, it's terrifying sometimes. Some people don't have the choice. Some people have the privilege to not concern themselves with it. The thing about moral conviction is, at that moment, there is fear because we're out there. Maybe our voices come up, maybe it's in our activity. But with moral conviction, and the reason I bring it up is not just like everyone needs to be morally convicted in some way like that. That People need to go through their process. But if we are feeling despair, in my experience, if I'm feeling despair about something, or if I'm catching myself turning away the antidote to that for me almost always is to go deep and find what my heart truly believes and to act from that place now easier said than done that requires sometimes some years of sitting meditation clearing the bramble understanding what's under there trusting our hearts Trusting that we can come from this place, instead of this churning, intellectual, grasping mind, that we can actually come from this kind of knowing and that we can meet the world from this knowing. Because this is true for all of us. We all can know from our hearts directly, as terrifying as that may be at times. We know when something should not be this way, that it should be some other way. We know. We have busy lives. Sometimes it's not easy to pay attention to that. But I believe we pay a price when we don't. I believe we pay a spiritual price when we don't live from what our heart is telling us is right. Right or is telling us is harmful. And so in some ways, when, when, we're, when we're dealing with the world, and the other thing that is important about Avalokiteshvara is that explosive compassion. I said this, but I just wanna kind of drive this home. It comes from, at least in the Mahayana tradition as we understand it, a non-dual wisdom. It's not grasping polarity. It's not insisting on a particular view. And, and this is a strange, confusing thing to hold, and we are speaking to the pain of the world. And we are naming it. So to watch the heart speak, for the heart to be able to come forward in a way that recognizes all suffering, and doesn't shy away from recognizing and speaking to all suffering, There is something in that process of moving through that process. And again, some people have to do it because of their location in a society and some people don't. But for those who don't, um, for those for whom it's a luxury to turn away, I don't think that we are are not paying a price. You know, Baldwin, always talked about that it is you the referred to the humanity of the privileged of the ones who get to turn that that they're the ones who are actually in the crisis of humanity not the people who are being uh, attacked that the people who are in a crisis of humanity are the ones who are not now that means that we have to pay attention to all the histories of this I will not exclude, for me, I will not exclude pain. The minute our heart privileges some pain over other pain, we are very quickly allowing ourselves to move into a practice of dehumanization. And we have to watch that. We have got to watch it. The world will ask that of us. The world will ask of us all the time to privilege one group of people over another. And then, not only will it ask that of us, it will condemn us if we don't. Tik Nhat Han spent years in Vietnam being attacked by both sides Because neither one could believe that he wasn't on either, but included them both, included everyone. We are not good, as far as I can tell, very good. Some people are very good at it. King was very good at it. We're not very good at naming the violence of the world, without falling into dualism. We're just not very good at it. And so it's something for us to just ask ourselves, What? how is that possible for me? How can I not dehumanize and name the suffering that's happening? And if I am, you know, straight white man, if I am in the situation of being a part of that causing of the suffering, how can I not shrink away from it being named? To be very clear, to refuse to shrink away from the pain that I may be a part of causing just by who I am and what I'm doing in the world, to not shrink away from that being named, to actually build the capacity through zazen, through compassion practice, through working in sangha, which I'll say more about in a minute, um, that allows us to build the capacity to not shrink away, and then in that not shrinking away, begin to act in solidarity with all beings. Solidarity with all beings. I fail at this every day. This is not something I have figured out. What I am trying to do as a human being is learn from the Dharma. And to build faith, to to cultivate faith, in that and in the practice over years, that faith begins to make itself known. It just begins to emerge. And the Dharma becomes the ground. Not the endless, violent back and forth of human life. talk about buddha nature every person has the potentiality for liberation in our life i mean that's very good when we're talking about this buddhist in this buddhist world with buddhist language and all the ways we talk but in our life that means we have to meet every single being With a recognition of their inherent dignity at every level, no matter how much we don't like them. It doesn't matter. It does not matter how much somebody likes somebody. People's inherent dignity, and it's not scratched by whether you like them or whether we're afraid of them. We are morally responsible for our fear. This is something we cannot say to ourselves enough. We're fine with moral responsibility kind of everywhere, but when we get to our fear, then suddenly, well, I have good reason. You may, we may have good reason. But that's not what's being asked of us in this practice. It's to actually be morally responsible for our fear and step out into the world and address from a place that isn't being thrown around by everything that's going on, address the pain of the world. And in terms of the Sangha, for me, that encouragement, around that kind of moral conviction comes from community. I don't seem to be able to just muster it up myself. My doubt is like anyone's doubt. Once it gets hooked in, then you know, uh, you don't quite know what to do. And so we come together in community with shared intentions. And we encourage each other's moral courage. We encourage that in each other. We encourage it in ourselves. We encourage returning to the Dharma and understanding what it is to really be someone who is going to stand for non-dual compassionate responses in the world. But we help each other do that which means we have to come together and have conversations. We need to hear all the views. We need to hear what's happening. And then what is, I walk around with the strength of the Sangha in my heart in that way. Either this Sangha, or the Sangha that has come together in my life from other traditions. That they are with me, their encouragement is with me. We are going to be um, unable to respond to anything as individuals, even groups of individuals are not that strong. Because everyone feels like they're caving in on themselves or that they're responsible for the whole world. this is the trick of how we've been trained here and it's failing we're watching it fail we're watching the the era of individualism fail and so what then is it to try to really understand what it is to be a communal being that that relies on sangha that is brave with sangha that speaks across all of these difficulties and finds courage in that process finds courage in that process because we have to find that courage because it's going to be a year it's going to be a year now that doesn't mean this year is somehow special. We've had lots of years in this country. but we need, we need spiritual courage right now. We need it. this is, this isn't no playing around. We need it. I don't see any way that we are going to find our way without it. And believe me, we have everything to lose. That's not to create fear, that's to create just waking, awakening. We have everything to lose. So, to begin with the Sangha, having conversations with each other, finding strength in each other, being willing to be brave together with each other, because if we can't do it, what is the voice of this community? Not what is the voice of each one of you, what is the voice of this community? and it's going to be a complicated one it's not gonna there is no such thing as harmony of one string right there's going to be many sounds but we can come to the place where we can speak about the world so what is the voice of our community And in this process, for me, and my experience, is that that conversation, that being changed by engagement with others is the very thing that enabled my faith. It is not the thing, yeah, you go through a process of maybe a little bit of doubt because now all of a sudden your views are challenged. That's all fine. But once that happens once we change once we have to there is no way to come to faith without knowing faith in the world faith in life without knowing that everything about who we are can change and will if we are still grabbing on to it being some static view of what i am then There's not going to be a faith, because that's going to be challenged every second, that's just not going to hold. You're not going to be able to hold on to who you think you are. So if we let go of that, and we let ourselves be that change, and let ourselves be changed by the views of others, in a deep, even disturbing way sometimes, then we start to sense into a different kind of ground that is not personal that um moral courage that comes from community there will always be times when even the community adrian and i were talking about this briefly that even the community isn't there. You know, for the most part, King was able to come from community. And I bring him up because lately, I've been really seeing him as the, the thing that he gave us and continues to give us through his, the tenor of his voice, is moral courage is the ability to kind of, what it is to watch someone have unwavering moral courage, no matter what. And But there was a moment in 68, in 68 with Vietnam, when he came out against Vietnam, 67, when he came out against Vietnam, that almost nobody was with him. Not his advisors, not anybody and he maybe gave the best speech of his life. I don't know what it is. I can't even pretend to fathom what it is to to um, dig that deep into one's faith. I'm still learning. But, To me, in my experience as of now, that is what freedom looks like. That is what the freedom of the Bodhisattva looks like. For the heart to be able to be the driver without anything getting in the way. That is an incredible kind of freedom. It's also an incredible kind of responsibility. But that's the moment right there in moral courage where freedom and responsibility become the very same thing. We cannot tell the difference between them anymore. It is the ability to be free, to be fully responsible. Can I be so free that I can be fully responsible to all the beings of this world? That requires me to be completely free of myself. All the little grabbing and me, me stuff, to be completely free of myself so that I be completely responsible. Freedom isn't about getting, you know, leaving orbit. For us it's about turning right back to the world and being entirely responsible sitting in the road that may be exhausting that's why we need others But if we are going to be free as bodhisattvas, I would just, I'll end on this. If we are going to follow our vows as bodhisattvas, it means that we are going to be turned to the world and be completely responsible to the lives of every being. Every single person. Everybody stays in the heart. Everybody stays in the heart. We do not turn away sometimes we have to rest but we do not turn away. We also don't grab it is like a massifier turning away and touching are both wrong. So oh one more thing there is this... Um, and this is about Sangha intention, this is one of the reasons I wanna say this, is that um, Vasubandhu is a Buddhist philosopher. He, he has this one in, in, the, um, in his big text, the Abhidharma Kosha. He writes a bunch about karma, but there's just one little phrase where he talks about that when we have shared karma, is when we have a shared intention if we all agree to having a shared intention in the world and we act from that shared intention then our karma will be wrapped up with each other and support each other and so on and that can go any way he specifically talks about if a soldier is in battle and he's in a group of soldiers, and one soldier shoots someone, they're all karmically responsible because they all went in having the shared intention. So let's flip that to the Bodhisattva intention and see what it is to really imagine a community that shares the karma, that takes part in the karma of a Bodhisattva response to the violence of the world. I cannot sit here and tell you what the exact way to go about that is. All I can do is encourage everybody to dig into themselves and to converse with each other and to do the work of finding that courage and responding to the world. It will be all of us that figure out what it is. But we got to show up. we got to show up. Thank you for being here, and thank you for encouraging me by being here. Um, I need the encouragement of the Sangha. I need our community. And I appreciate you all showing up for each other. And whoever set up the Zendo and did the work quietly behind, thank you. All of you who are volunteering, thank you. Everyone who's taking care of this temple so that people can show up and care for their, pro- their their practice and their maturation, thank you for that. Thank you for caring for each other. And if it's difficult, we'll figure it out. Let's just keep showing up for each other and keep showing up for the world.